So let's begin our time together by reading Luke chapter 2 on this Christmas Eve night. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So I really have a question tonight, that, which is, do you have Christ, and does Christ have you? When we think about Christmas season, when I was a young boy, it, typically Christmas is about one thing, right? What are you going to get? And you're a kid. You don't have any money. I couldn't buy anybody a present. What am I going to get my family? Like a bag of rocks or something? Like I can't, you know, it's all about what I get. I wanted the comic books. I wanted the Nintendo game. I wanted the candy. I wanted cash. You know, it's about what do I have? What can I get? What can I possess? What will I get? These thoughts sort of dominate our thinking. But friends, uh, we have more things than any generation in the history of the world. We possess more than any other of our people before us. But despite all that, do you have the most precious gift of all? Do you have Christ in your life? Do you know him? And does he have you? On the night of Christ's birth, the shepherds rejoiced in the presence of a baby who was lying in a feeding trough, probably inside of a cave, surrounded by filth and squalor and noise and smells. And yet they rejoiced. Why? They rejoiced because they were in the presence of God. They were in the very presence of God in flesh. And they did as the angel told them to do. To after, and after seeing him, the shepherds were so moved that they told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. 
Do you have Christ, and does he have you? Have you ever lost something of great value, and it drives you crazy when you can't find it? Does anyone have the Apple AirTags on your keys yet? I should probably do this. Uh, sometimes you lose things, and even if it's not of great value, it just eats at you, doesn't it? Maybe it was here. Maybe I should retrace my steps. Maybe it's in the couch cushions. Why do they make all television remotes black? Why can't they make them fluorescent yellow? So they're easier to see in the dark. A few years ago, the summer before last, my family and I went tubing down the Dan River, in southern Virginia. And uh, it was a beautiful summer day, and uh, you, you know, it's a bit of a loose uh, uh, environment tubing down the river. Uh, you know, people are having a good time. They're, they're smoking things I haven't smelled since my college years. And uh, I was like, that's not a skunk, okay. And so it was all sorts of people. It was God's, God's people, right? And as we're cruising down the river, you know, we have two small children at the time, and I have to manage their stuff and their food. We had snacks. We, we brought waters and stuff. At one point, my wife says, take my sunglasses, hang on to them for me. I said, oh, sure. And I put them in my lap. I'm in the tube. I'm surrounded by the tube. Sunglasses will be fine. We keep cruising down the river. I'm doing other stuff. A few minutes go by, and she goes, I'd like my sunglasses back, please. And I said, sure. And I look down, and they're gone. I immediately hop up, stand up in the river, and start rummaging through the murky water, looking for these sunglasses, and here comes a guy on a tube, let's call him Cheech, or Chong, or Snoop Dogg, whatever you want to call him. Here he comes, he's just cruising by, he's just going with the flow, man. And he looks at me and he says, hey man, they're gone. I said, appreciate it. Thanks a lot, I had no idea. Sunglasses long gone. They're gone forever. It's so frustrating to look for something and you can't find it. And it, it drives you nuts. You've got to get at what you want to find, to have. It's the kind of thing the shepherds didn't have to do that, did they? God helped them know where to go. He told them how to have Christ. He told, the angels told, well, really, God gave them the message. Angels don't have a message. Angels just relay what God tells them to say. The angels helped them find this manger, this child lying in a manger. They were told to, the, to where to look. That having Christ is like finding the thing that you thought you'd never find. And when you find it, you are so overjoyed, right? You are so thrilled that you found the object of your desire. And like the shepherds, you tell everyone around you, I've found my iPhone 15. I found my keys. I found my insulin or whatever it might be. Hooray! You know, do you have Christ though? See, in this world, there was really no safe investment. Ultimately, all things do pass away on a temporal, physical plane. Eventually, we are like flowers of the field. We are here today, friend, and we are gone tomorrow. One of the great messages of Christmas is the reminder for all people, whether you're a church person or not, to be reminded to not put your hope in what you will eventually lose. 
but to put your trust in Christ, who you will never lose, and to put your hope in the most of ultimate things, not even a thing, but the most ultimate of persons of Christ. And the holidays are a fun time, but as I get older, and as a lot of us get older, we realize they're also a difficult time. They're a time when we have to come face to face with certain scenarios in our lives that we wish weren't there. Where we miss a loved one, and that chair at the table this year is empty. Or we walk through a divorce, and there's an empty space there that we didn't want either. And the wounds that those things create are raw and real and pervasive, and they look like they're impossible to overcome, and it's just the way it is in the midst of the life as we go through this holiday season. And in those losses comes a word of caution. I was speaking to a friend of mine recently, a friend of my family, who lost her husband this year. They were married for over 45 years. Both Christian people, wonderful, wonderful people. And he passed away. And I spoke with her uh, just recently, like last week. And she said, Clark, I was talking to the Lord about how hard this has been. The house is too quiet. I don't want to go through Christmas like this, right? She said, so I was just talking to the Lord. I'm just pouring my heart out to him. I'm just telling him how I feel. And that's what you should do, by the way. Just pour out your heart to him. And she says, I'm just talking to to Jesus about this, and I don't know what to do. I can't walk through this. And this is her word. She told this to me. She said, the Lord spoke to me. And I believe her. She said, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, while your husband was with you, I shared in your joy. Now he is with me. So share in our joy. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, I think I've been a little bit too focused on what I've lost and not celebrating that what I truly have, which is Jesus, whom I will never lose. And she said, I know I'll see my husband again one day. And she will. And she will. People can live their lives held captive by the thing or the person that we've lost. But I don't think the person you've lost would want that for your life. It's very easy, though, to do that. It's very, you, can, you can justify it quite quickly to see your life as a series of losses instead of also seeing the gains as well. That tonight and every night, you and I can have Christ, whom you will never lose, whom you will never, ever lose. To renew the focus that to live as Christ and to die is gain, that God's desire is for his joy to be made complete in you. And whatever it is that we deal with, trust God in it. That the sign of God with us, Jesus born as flesh, is the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness. That he, he's not distant in a throne room somewhere. He chose to enter into our world perfectly human, perfectly God, sinless, took on the sin of the world. This search, this having of Christ, is the most important search of any human being's life. Everything else is secondary. It is the most important decision any of us will ever, whatever we'll ever make. 
So therefore, do whatever it takes to get to that manger, my friend. Do whatever it takes. Let nothing hold you back from the manger. Remember, the shepherds were assisted by the grace of God. The shepherds were assisted by the angels to go and look and see and believe. Tonight, this service is your prompting and my prompting as well. Go to the manger. See for yourself. Let nothing keep you from Christ. Does he have you? And do you, does, do you have him? Now, you've heard this before. How can Christ have me? What does that even mean, right? Well, the Bible would say that it's prophesied the Messiah would be King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, that he has been given all authority and power and majesty and honor. He's at the right hand, the place of authority of the Father, that he is King and King and Lord of all that we see and all that is in the universe. And so the Bible says that we can have Christ as Lord of our lives, that he rules and reigns over us, not as prisoners, but as people that are set free, that being set free to be made who you were meant to be with God's help as a new creation in Christ. So how do you do that? Receive him as Lord. You do it by faith. You do it by faith, asking by faith to the Lord. Lord, I receive you as Lord of my life. See, Jesus wants your sins, but he also wants to be Lord of your life, right? He wants all the totality of who you are to bless you, to heal you, to transform you, to grow you in grace, to grow you in holiness, to grow you in purity and righteousness and all the things of heaven. He wants to make you more of a citizen of heaven than a citizen of earth so that you can help transform the earth as it is in heaven, let it be so on earth. And the main way we do this, this idea of turning toward Jesus, of receiving him as Lord, is a, a, a word that the Bible uses that's called repentance. Repentance. Now sometimes we hear that word and we think, I don't like that word. I want, can you give me a better word? But no, that's actually a good word. Repentance doesn't mean to feel bad about yourself or to beat yourself about, about your past or to dwell on your pain. Repentance means to turn around. It's very simple. Repentance means to turn away from the sin or the thing, or the thing that is your Lord, or an idol perhaps, turn away and turn toward Christ. Walk toward him. That's repentance. When my wife and I got married, our getaway car, uh, why do they call it a getaway car? Like, we don't get away from anything. I love, love those people. Was, we had a good party. Anyway, our, our driveway car was a 1982 Porsche. Keith would like that. It's a very cool, old-school, retro Porsche. Stick shift, of course. Now, I can drive a stick, but I had never test-ridden this thing before we drove off that night in the parking lot. And so we get in the Porsche, turn on, turn on the car, start the car, and on the radio is one of our favorite love songs. That was kind of a cool little side note. But as I start the car, and I turn out of the church parking lot, I realize real quick, this car doesn't have power steering. <laughs> and anybody in the room attest? You know when there's no power steering. How do you know? Because it requires some extra mustard. It requires some extra oomph to really, you can turn it, but it, it's not easy. And so that car was really fun to drive, actually. But I could turn the wheel, but it was a bit of a chore. But power steering, right, it makes everything so much easier. That to turn your, the wheel of your car, you take it for granted. It's just so simple. It's so smooth of a turn. 
I say that because without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the grace of God, the love of God toward you and me, we just have manual steering. We can turn the wheel, we can start to get there, but ultimately it's all effort. It's difficult. The shepherds that night of Jesus' birth, they had manual steering. They needed the, Holy, the grace of God to help them turn toward that manger and see where they needed to go. We can start to make the turn, but we need God's help to finish the turn. In a sense, we need the love of God to help us know God better. This is how dependent on grace human beings are. We need all of it to help us know Christ. We need the grace of God to help us find the manger. We need to help him to direct us toward that place of freedom, of new life, of forgiveness, of transformation. And the grace of God is present now, here, to help you turn toward him, to have Christ, and for him to have you. For God's spirit to affirm within you that you are a child of God, that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High, that you can become a new creation from the inside out, to be a new creature in Christ, that the love of God has always sought you, and he will never stop. He has always been pursuing you because that is what you would expect perfect love to do, right? To never give up, to never hold a record of wrongs, to always be patient, to always be kind, to always seek after. The grace of God is here to help you know him and be found by him. Because the Bible is clear, apart from having Christ and him having you, you are living in spiritual darkness. It's a life apart from a relationship with God. God does not desire this for anybody. He wants all people to know. Come freely into the light, right? Like John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. We know that part. But then the rest of those verses say that God desires for all people to come freely into the light. To not hide in the darkness any longer. Not hide in shame or pain or blame. But to come freely into the light. That is what God's love wants for you and me. Until we do that, we are in a sense inside a self-imposed prison cell that we can't get out of. And this is the message of Advent. This is the message of Christmas Eve. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it really well, where he said, a prison cell in which one waits, hopes, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. This is not a bad picture of Advent. Friends, tonight, and really every night, the key is in the lock. It's already been turned on your behalf. All you have to do is push that door open. It's right there. For him to have you, and you to have him. And the main way that he has communicated this freedom to you and I is through very basic means of bread, wine, as in our case, juice, and on the night of Jesus' final Passover meal he shared with his disciples, he took the bread that represented the Passover lamb and he broke it and he said, this is actually now my body. I am the Passover lamb. As often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and he broke it. Christ is present among us in this holy act. 
And then he took the cup. He said, you recognize this as the, as the blood of the old covenant. This is the blood, my blood now, the new covenant. That the same Jesus, born in that manger on Chris, that long ago night, has come to shed his blood on behalf of you and I, that you and I can't atone for our own sin. Only Jesus can atone for our sin. Only Jesus forgives sin. And it is through this act of his sacrifice on your behalf that you receive by faith that you can know that your sins are forgiven. And God never breaks his covenant with his people. So as often as you drink this blood of the new covenant, do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, as we approach your table, we thank you that your grace has pursued us every day of our lives, even in this very moment. And as your people, we come with open hands, open hearts, ready to receive your grace for each of us. To see, God, that none of us are perfect, and that's okay. You don't call perfect people. You call the humble and contrite of spirit.